Good morning, Redemption Church. Good, you guys are a little bit more awake than the early one. That's a good sign. Hey, I want to make a declaration uh, to you guys today. I am worked up. Now, it is always an honor to get to speak on Sunday morning, but I've never felt as anxious to do something, as looking forward to it as much as this message. When uh, Matt told me what I get to speak on, the topic I got to speak on uh, a couple weeks ago, I wanted to do it then. Like he told me that, I go, good, let's go, when is it? He said, it's Tuesday afternoon, you got to wait a couple weeks, we got to wait for Sunday. So I am really glad to be here. I'm warning you because, just so you'll know, like I don't want you in a couple of minutes to say, <laughs> Margaret, this guy is worked up. You know, he could have let us know ahead of time. I'm letting you know ahead of time I'm worked up, all right? So the title of the sermon today is Bold and Ripe. I understand that sounds kind of like a uh, Rainier Cherry slogan or something, you know, for a marketing thing. It is not that. We're going to be talking about evangelism. And as I thought about this, I was thinking about, I wonder if any of you have had to take somebody to the airport in preparation for a long trip, where they're going to be gone from you for a long time, and you're driving them to the airport. And I don't know if you're like me, but I start to miss them when we hit the 405, right? And, and I start kind of thinking, well, what can I say to them in these last few minutes so they'll really know how much I love them? Or is there some kind of wisdom that I can impart to them? Or is there some way that, you know, we can bond these last few moments so we can bond more, right? Because it's a traumatic thing. And, and then I thought about 70 years ago, you know, when my uncle was in World War II, he was gone for three years. And there was no email or, or texting or cheap phone calls, anything like that. So he was gone from the people he loved for three years. And how hard that would be to say goodbye. And then I thought about Jesus as he appears to his apostles the last time, before he goes up into heaven. He knows that he's going to be separated from them until their death, until they're reunited with him. And I was thinking all the things that he could be thinking about, what he would want to say to them. Maybe he would want to say how much he loves them again. Or that you're going to have struggles. You're going to have these trials. People are going to be against you. This is how to prepare for it. Or he might say, I want you to take care of my creation. You know, love my creation. I made this for you. Or, or maybe he's going to just teach him one more special prayer. You know, but whatever it is, you've got to figure that he was thinking this is critical that I impart the most important thing I can impart to them. Right? This is the last time I'm going to be talking to him in the flesh. So what does he do? Matthew 28, he gives them the Great Commission. Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, so you must go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you, and you can be sure that I'm always with you to the very end. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for being here today. I pray that your Holy Spirit would run rampant over us, that you'd grant us understanding, discernment, and motivation to really hear the words of your scripture that we can, take, um, we can take with us today as we leave this place, that it would impart power upon your creation. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I assume that um, as Christians, those of you that are Christians, you've decided to follow Christ, that you have some burden for the lost on some level. I mean, the Great Commission was to you and I, so we should have some burden for the lost, and I kind of think of it as the whole world is struggling under this terrible, terrible, deadly disease. And I've been given the cure to that disease, so I'm, I'm good. And, and the guy that gave it to me, I didn't earn it. The guy that gave it to me, he dropped a whole pallet of it in my garage. And so I want to make sure that everybody I love gets it, right? 
because this is a weird disease. This disease that's infecting the whole world, they could, once you get infected, you could die in 50 years or you could die in a day. So it's really important that I get all my loved ones and get this vaccine to them so they won't be suffering under this disease. Now, if I hear my neighbor's got this disease, wouldn't I go in my garage and, and take this over to him? I mean, wouldn't I take this to him and say, I don't know much about this. I know it works. I know it's what you need. It's going to cure you of your disease, but I didn't make it, and I really don't understand how it functions. Wouldn't I do that? I would have to hate my neighbor quite a bit not to do that if I know that the cure is in my garage on a pallet. So I wonder how many here are, are satisfied with how the church is doing with the Great Commission. And I wonder how many of us here are satisfied about how we're doing personally with the Great Commission. As I thought about this, it really came down to two things for me that I think our failure, because I, I, I hope everyone could agree that we could do better. And I think our failure comes down to either who or how. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning, the who and the how. So to start out with is going to be the how. The how is being bold. In the dictionary, it defines bold as showing an ability to take risks, confident and courageous. In Proverbs 28.1, it says, The wicked flee, though no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. And you and I, fellow Christians, are the righteous. We are called to be bold. Boldness is used 42 times in the New Testament. The, the Greek word for bold is 42 times. It's translated differently sometimes. It's also translated confidently, directly, plainly, openly, and freely. But it's used 42 times. And in present day, I don't hear boldness being used very much in description of evangelism. I hear lifestyle evangelism quite a bit, because I think that makes us comfortable. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about lifestyle evangelism, but just to get you started, lifestyle evangelism is not evangelism. Lifestyle evangelism is a technique within evangelism. Okay, we'll talk about that coming up. Now, that being said, the Holy Spirit can do whatever he likes. If the Holy Spirit is, changes people's minds to Christ by you just driving by them on the freeway, amen. Okay, That's not outlined in the Bible for what you and I are supposed to do, but if that's what he wants to do, that's what he's going to do, and I'm getting out of his way. Boldness sometimes is a word that we have problems with with the gospel because it's associated with being maybe pushy or obnoxious, that kind of thing. That's not what we're talking about here. That kind of boldness would be if we were presenting something that needed to be kind of pushed on people. If we're selling a lousy car, we may have to be bold, right? That way kind of pushy and get it there. If we're selling a, uh, a timeshare in Kansas, we may have to really, you know, kind of push that a little bit. No offense to any of you, uh, what are you, Hoosiers? They're not here? Okay, we don't know what we're no, 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 we don't need to be pushy or obnoxious because we're presenting something that the entire world needs. The entire world has that disease that you as a Christian have the cure for. We don't need to sell it. We don't need to wrap it in a slick package. We don't need to market it. We just need to present it. And we, right as we are, everybody in this room that's a Christian, you are not wanting for anything to present the gospel. You are good to go today. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting at verse 26, says, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. 
Not when he were influential, not many of you are of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise, and God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong, and God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, it is written, the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. Every time we come across something that has anything to do with the word boldness, it's going to be underlined. Boast in the Lord. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom. Neither do I. I don't know if you guys do. Did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaim to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. Does that explain, does that describe how you might, if, you, if I said today we're going door to door, we're starting a trilogy, we are going. We're going there, we're knocking on doors. Anybody have fear and trembling? That's right. Thank you for the honest people. The rest of the people that did not, I know you're lying. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. We need only share what God has done for us. That's it. We're not going to compel somebody to God. That's the Holy Spirit's job. It is not our burden. We're to boldly present the gospel. The rest of it's up to the Holy Spirit. We only need to be bold. They can't be pushed. If God doesn't want them to come to him, they are not coming. Acts 29, I'm sorry, Acts 2.29 says, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence, Peter was speaking with boldness, and why shouldn't he? He was convinced that Jesus Christ is the only hope for fallen humanity. Can I have an amen? Amen. That's what we're presenting. We're not presenting a church here, right? It's not saying my church is cooler than the church down the street. We are presenting something that everybody is dying. Everybody that doesn't know Jesus is going to hell today. That's what we're presenting. We need to be bold. We need to be confident, direct, plain, open, free. In Acts 4, we see how Peter and John are speaking. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. And they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus. The resurrection of the dead, they seized Peter and John because it was evening and they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed so that the number of men who believed grew to be 5,000. Do you guys remember Peter? Do you remember Peter four weeks before this? He wouldn't stand up before a servant girl and talk about Jesus. He's standing now before the Jewish Supreme Court. And he doesn't back down. When they call him on it, he doesn't say, oh, sorry, okay, I'll, I'll just be out of here. No, he, he goes into a sermon. He starts preaching to these guys. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas the high priest was there, and so was Caiaphas, and John and Alexander, and the others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man that was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this. You and all the people of Israel, 
It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who you crucified, but God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus, the stone you builders rejected, has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found nowhere else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which you must be saved. If you don't have that verse underlined in your Bible, do it. Do it now. You have people all the time, they're going to say, well, yeah, Jesus is cool, but there's a lot of ways to heaven. Nonsense. Nonsense. Jesus is the only way. Underline that. When they saw the courage of Peter, Peter and John, they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, and they were astonished that they took note of these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there before them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin, and they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in his name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or him? You be the judge for us. We, not, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. They were commanded to shut up. They said, no, we cannot shut up. Now, you know, I see on Facebook a lot of whining about the government this and policy that, and we're not a Christian nation anymore. I don't think we ever were. These guys lived in a society that was opposed to the gospel. You'd get killed for preaching the gospel then. We got it easy. We got a fertile ground. We can hit it. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish because of all the people were praising God for what had happened for the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Now, you would think, well, these guys are like, whew, we dodged a bullet there. Let's go hide in our church, right? Let's just say, everybody calm down and we're not going to make any, uh, any waves now. But on the release, Peter and John went back to their own people and they reported that the chief priests and the elders had said to them, and when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God, sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father, David. Why do the nations rage against the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. They get beat down. All you do is go back and say, God, give us more. More boldness. Let's go. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders all in the name of your holy servant, Jesus. This I love. This is the key verse. Listen to this. And they prayed and the place where they were meeting was shaken. Imagine if we prayed and this theater was shaken. I want that. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God boldly. Imagine if 10 of us spoke the word of God boldly this week. We would have to go to five services next week. 10 of us. Confidently, directly, plainly, open, openly, freely, and boldly. I warned you people. <coughs> all right. So I know that this doesn't come naturally for a lot of people, right? We have objections, right? Why we can't witness. I get it. I cling on to those. Satan loves it when I cling on to those. And I came up with eight things 
you know, a lot of times when I write sermons, I'm preaching to myself. And I go, Scott, you really stink at this. You need to hear. So you can overhear me talking to myself, all right? First one, boldness is not in my personality. You know, I'd much rather just kind of behind-the-scenes guy, you know, boldness. I just don't like to get in people's faces. No problem. It wasn't Paul's either. Paul, unbelievable evangelist in the New Testament. In Ephesians, he says, And also pray for me that my words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. So if Paul needed to go before God and ask for boldness, I do too, and so do you. Here's another one. Mm, I prefer the way Jesus did it. You know, he would just kind of, just kind of real low-key sit under a tree, let people come to him, not, you know, not being too offensive. He didn't want to get in people's faces. Sorry. The, the disciples learned from Jesus how to be bold. Mark 8, 31 says, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. John 16 says, Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. God does not, uh, not need us to speak eloquently. He needs us to speak boldly. He will use whatever, however he equipped us. All he needs us to be is bold. It can be as simple as God loves you. He can change your life. He changed mine. He will change yours. That's the gospel. Say that boldly. All right, we come back to lifestyle evangelism. I believe in lifestyle evangelism. I believe in lifestyle evangelism. There's all kinds of books written about that. Lifestyle evangelism is very important because we need to to love people. We need to establish with them that we love them. That's how we show that we love them because they don't care what we have to say until they know that we're invested in them, right? We love them. We're called to love people. That's what lifestyle evangelism is. But it's only a step in the process. It doesn't stop there. We can't just, you know, live a quietly godly life and expect people to come to Jesus. They have to know. They have to be told about him. A quote from, I think it's Francis of Assisi that says, preach Jesus and use words if you must. Ridiculous. That's, I'm sorry, Francis, but uh, that's ridiculous. I would say, preach Jesus and use words every time you can. Of course. Of course we have to speak about Jesus. See, we don't see this lifestyle evangelism in the Bible. When somebody hears about Jesus, what do they do? They go and start telling people. When somebody got cured, it didn't say, and then he went back to his village and lived quietly as a shopkeeper. And people were led to Jesus. That that isn't how it happened. It says, they went back there and they told people about Jesus and many people came to him. That's what it says in the Bible. Romans 10, 17 says, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. It's not by osmosis. Another one is, I don't want to turn people off from the gospel. I don't want to turn people off from the gospel. Now, God uses us as we are. God uses us in our weakness. It says he is glorified in our weakness. The weaker we are, the more glorified he is. I had... um, a, a dear Christian sister this week say, well, I just I have a really hard time because 
you know, I don't have the words to say. You know, like you have the words to say and this other guy has the words to say. I really don't have the words to say. God uses us where he puts us. This woman is, is sensitive and kind and, and ministers to people all the time and, and God draws people to her that relate to her. You don't, the world doesn't need any more me. It needs you. It needs you to go out there where God put you. And be bold. Be bold talking about Jesus. It's not our burden anyway. Matthew 10, 19 says, Don't worry about how to respond or what to say. God will give you the right words at the right time. For it is not you who will be speaking. It will be the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. It's not our burden. God's going to give us the words. In fact, John 6 says, No one can come unless the Father who sent me draws them. If we believe that it's our our burden to do that, to to convince somebody to to follow Jesus, I think we run the danger of dumbing down the gospel or presenting it in such a way that it's not offensive or, you know, kind of limiting it. Let's make, I don't know, let's, let's tie something to it. That's not how it is. We present it plainly, and it's the Holy Spirit's job. Once we see Jesus as the messenger and us as the instrument, we are free to share the gospel with boldness. Right? We go and share with somebody, and if they don't come to Jesus, Holy Spirit, I don't know, you know, I, I acted in boldness over here. It's up to you, right? It's not my problem. I acted in faith. That's what we need to be doing. Here's another one. I think that telling others about Christ is the job of pastors or missionaries or elders. I used to cling to that one. I don't get to do that one anymore. But that's not the case. We don't see that in Scripture. Again, when people are led to Jesus, what do they do? They go and tell people, right? It doesn't say that people were led to Jesus and then they went to seminary for three years. They, you know, they got up, they started as an associate pastor and then they became a senior pastor. Then they started telling about Jesus. Nope. Soon as they come to Jesus, they go out and tell people. Instantly. In fact, Mark 1, 43 says, Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest, offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. And instead, he began to talk freely, spreading the news. Even when Jesus said, don't share, he couldn't help it. I'm going. I'm telling others. I'm not going to hold this anymore. I got the cure. I got to share it. Confidently, directly, plainly, openly, freely, boldly. Here's one. I don't know any non-Christians. I go to Christian school. I go to church. I go to Christian school. I go to youth group. I go to my uh, regroup. I work at uh, XYZ Charity. Everybody around is saved. What can I do? John Stock called these people rabbit hole Christians where you're in the rabbit hole of church and then you get up and spring to the next thing, get down in your regroup, right? Kind of minister there. Then you spring up, go over to your work. Maybe you only work with Christians in your department. You get up, you spring over to, to your charity that you give to, right? We're called to be out there. That's why Jesus left us here on earth. We're called to be in society. We're called to embrace our culture. So if, if there are no Christians in your life, that means you have to change your life. That means you have to look for ways to meet new people. Whatever that means. Maybe it means taking a different bus to work. Maybe it means having coffee at a different place. Maybe it means, um, you know, a great one is go for a walk different times every day in your neighborhood and bring your dog. Everybody will talk to you if you have a dog. 
Even if they hate dogs. They'll come and say, I hate dogs. And he goes, I really... I don't know, whatever you're going to do. Why don't you say what Jesus thought about dogs? I don't know, however you do it. I don't, I don't want to give you a script. It's up to you. I know, I know a retired guy who got a job driving a shuttle for the express purposes he got to meet like 50 people a day. He didn't need the money. How awesome is that? Here is a great one. I don't know enough about the Bible. I don't know enough about the Bible. I tell you, when we say that we don't know enough the Bible about the Bible to share Jesus, we are discounting the Holy Spirit. We truly are. Saying, God, it's not you, it's me, and I don't know enough about it yet. Let me work on a little bit more and I'll come back. Give me a couple years. I'm going to go to, to Bible college. Maybe get an MDiv. Then I'll be all good to go. You just wait. Give me about five, ten years, something like that. Not how it works. We need to prepare, Yes. Everybody should have their own personal testimony ready to go. should be in your hip pocket that somebody wants to know, boo, this is what Jesus means to me, right? Have, have a basic understanding of, of Jesus and theology. But if we prepare and the Holy Spirit isn't there, we are wasting our time. Don't bother. If you're not going to call upon the Holy Spirit to be with you when you witness, do not bother. Tell them you're Mormon and stay home. That's what I would like from you, okay? Tell them you're Mormon and stay home. I don't know of anyone who's actually been argued into the faith by logic. Never met anybody that said that. You know how I came to faith? Well, I had a debate with my professor for a couple weeks, and then I just... I've never seen it. Maybe it happens. Holy Spirit can do what he wants, but I've never seen it. Because, I don't know, when I get into those discussions, it usually gets to... They'll say, okay, yes, I agree that Jesus lived. I agree that he, he was dead and resurrected. I agree all that. Yeah, but. Right? And they say, yeah, but. That means, no, I'm not ready. Yeah, but means... Scott's done. Okay, yeah, but. The battleground between a seeker and God is almost always not logic, but will. It is will that you are addressing. God puts us where he does and equips us with what he has because that's where he needs us. Colossians 4 says, Be wise in the ways you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let the words you speak always be full of grace. Season them with salt, and then you will know how to answer everyone. But you see, our success in evangelism is not found through our personality, our intellect, our cleverness, or our education, but through the character of our life, through the transforming work of the Holy Spirit, through our willingness to be bold, and our obedience to Jesus. All right, number eight. This is the last one on the uh, objection list. I don't look stupid. I don't look stupid. I'm going to share a story that uh, shames me to this day, and it happened over 30 years ago. I was, at, I was getting concert tickets, beautiful summer day in uh, Irvine, Irvine Meadows, and there were about 30 of us standing around the, the ticket office waiting. The ticket office was at the top of this hill, and the parking lot was pretty steep. Cars were parked there about... 40 yards away, and it just happened to be that I was facing the car as everybody else was facing this way, and I see that there's a couple kids in a car with all the windows down. It was hot, and they must have knocked it out of gear because it was drifting backward. 40 yards away. It seemed like forever, but in my mind I was saying, I could help those guys, but what if I fall? What if I can't get to them? What if I look stupid? 
I'd be so embarrassed. Fortunately, there were some guys that turned around that weren't as in love with their pride as I was, and they saved them. But I think for most of us, the question of whether we evangelize or not comes down to pride. So we got to ask, how much do we love our pride? Hey, you guys are uh, very fortunate to be here today because today is the very first performance of uh, the Redemption Church drama team. best friend. You know I don't like the dark. Wait, look, there's some light over there. Finally! What is this place? How did we get here? The last thing I remember, we were in my car. Yeah, that's right. We were, we were headed to the movies. Oh man, we're totally going to miss the previews. I, I think we're going to miss a bit more than that. Oh, no. Oh, no, what? What's going on? The train. Don't you remember the train? What train? What are you talking about? The The train! train. We were running late, remember? So you sped up across the tracks, but, but it was too late. Wait, wait, no. That's impossible. There's no way we'd be alive after that. Um, do, do you think we're... Don't even say it. Dead? Dead? We're not dead. I'm not dead. We We can't can't be dead. dead. I think we are. Okay, okay, so if we're dead, what is this place? And, and who's that? I, I, I think it's an angel. A what? An angel to take us to heaven. Wow, this is amazing. Hey, wait for me. What, what's going on? Why, why can't I go too? I, I want to go with my friend. You, you can't. What, what do you mean I can't? Why not? In order to enter heaven, you had to be a follower of Jesus. Well, okay, how, how do I do that? You had to make the decision why you were still alive. What decision? What are you talking about? I, I want to go with you. Hey, what are you doing? Where are you taking me? He's, he's taking you to hell. That's where you go when you don't repent and follow Jesus in life. What? And you knew this? You didn't tell me? Why? I didn't know how to tell you. I thought you'd make fun of me. I was afraid. Think I was weird. (laughs) Wouldn't want to be my friend. (laughs) And even hate me. You call this being a friend? Why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me? 
confidently, directly, plainly, openly, freely, boldly. Okay, so that's the how. Let's talk about the who. And the who is ripe. If you look up ripe in the dictionary, it says, developed to the point of readiness for harvesting. I think some of us think, well, I've witnessed before and I failed. I gave the gospel, I was, I was faithful and I failed. You didn't fail. If you witnessed and gave the gospel, you succeeded, right? It's not our burden to convert, it's the Holy Spirit's. So you're acting in faith to Jesus, total, total success. But the gospel is going to be opposed, right? The gospel is going to be opposed. The truth offends. People know the truth. Have you ever heard anyone take the name of Buddha or Muhammad in vain? Buddha and Muhammad never claimed to be God. There's no curse word. Nobody says Buddha whatever or Muhammad whatever. We shouldn't be shocked that Jesus Christ is treated in such ways. We should be offended but not shocked. We should expect that it's unavoidable. 2 Corinthians 2 says... But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and to those who are perishing. To the one we're an aroma that brings death, to the other we're an aroma that brings life. Did you get that? What that means is unless you and I are willing to be bold... And risk be the stench of death to those that are perishing. We will never be the sweet aroma of life to those that are going to be saved. So why? All right. Maybe you've acted in faith. Why is it that people don't come to Jesus every time, you know, you mention his name to somebody? You spent time, energy, you've been faithful in in being bold. Perhaps a pastor in Chicago, James McDonald has a great thing that he talks to his church about. He talks about red apples and green apples. Okay? Red apples are people that are ripe and ready to hear the gospel. And green apples are people that aren't ready yet. Okay? So if we act in faith and God has decided that a green apple has not, is not ready to come, they won't come. Does this seem weird? Does this seem weird that you kind of divide people into red apples and, and green apples, that they're, they're ripe and they're not ripe? I was thinking about, okay, well, if Jesus came in here, and he said, all right, you guys, I'm going to give everybody a bucket. It's, uh, he's magic. So he came in and, and made this uh, August, right? Really nice sunny day, right? We're going to go play, pick blackberries for Jesus. Jesus wants a bunch of blackberries. And he gives us all buckets, and we're going to go out and pick blackberries, right? And we're going out right now, and Jeff Wolf says, no way, the, the sermon's not over, you can't leave. I'm going right through, Jeff, because Jesus told me to get blackberries. I'm going. He can't stop me. And I go and I find, you know, one of those cool spots where nobody else has found yet. And there's just blackberries all over the place, right? And I'm picking them, right? I'm picking all the, the good ones. I'm filling up this thing. And Jesus is going to be so happy because I'm, I'm going to get him a whole thing of blackberries, right? And I'm picking them all, picking them all. They're all ripe. Awesome. And I come to a green one. And it has potential, man. It's big, you know, and it's going to be juicy. It's hard right now, but it's going to be juicy. I can see. And so I think maybe I'll just wait at this green one. Now, I know right next to it there's a bunch of ripe ones, but... I'm really focused on this green one. So I'll wait. Maybe it'll take a week. I don't know, three weeks, something like that. Now, while I'm doing that, those ripe berries are dropping to the ground. They're getting eaten by birds, right? Because we don't have enough harvesters to harvest all the blackberries. But I'm focused on this green one right here. 
I think we need to start training ourselves to look if they're right for the gospel or they are not. Jesus did this. This is not Scott talking. This is Jesus. Jesus did this all the time. He walked through crowds of unright people to go to somebody that was right. He walked through a crowd, looked up and saw Zacchaeus. All these are unright people. He goes up to Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is right. He talks to him. He was walking through a crowd. People were surrounding him. And a woman who, who had perpetual bleeding touched him. He turned around knowing that she was right. Disregarded all the other people that weren't right. Ministered to her. That's how Jesus worked. Every time Jesus saw folks that were not right, he dismissed them. And went to somebody who that was. Now, you and I don't know who's ripe and who is not ripe. So when in doubt, we share the gospel. Right? But once they hear and reject the gospel, there's a lot of ripe fruit out there. We've got to keep moving. We've got to keep moving. Now, we don't want to bruise the fruit. We don't want to come to a fruit that's not ripe and just say, you, get in the yard waste. I don't even have anything to do with you. No, no, no. Because they may come ripe tomorrow or 10 years from now. Only God knows which ones are ripe. We have to assume that everybody has the potential to be ripe. 1 Corinthians 1 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. We need to look for those who are ripe ready to hear about the Savior. Maybe it is somebody that you come across crying in the break room at work. Man, maybe he's ready. Maybe, maybe you see a student at school and he's just walking like, this is it, man. He's carrying the, the weight of the world on his shoulder. He's ready. Maybe it's the mom down the street who her husband just left. Maybe, maybe she's ready. We don't know. And sometimes the people that we see and we think aren't ready are the ones that are right. Okay? Um, I'm going to put a video up on my Twitter account, which is a, the testimony of... Um, Brian Head Welch used to be the lead guitarist for Corn. If you're unfamiliar with Corn, consider yourself blessed. Um, it is not, it is not for everyone. Some of my bros down here, maybe I don't know. Um, anyway, this guy Corn was the biggest deal in the '90s, and he was the lead, one of the lead guitarists, and he he had it all. He was wealthy and had everything that the world could throw at him. And if you and I were to see him, in fact, I would assume that most of you saw him you, walking down the street. You'd cross the other side. He is tatted up here. He's got tats on his face totally sleeved. He's got um, braids and stuff in his hair, and he just looks scary. But somebody in his life recognized that he thought he was ripe, and his realtor actually shared a verse with him. He said, God, I think God wants me to tell you this verse. I've never done this before. So what he was saying is, this isn't me. This is God. I'm acting bold. I'm kind of freaked out about it, but I'm going to do it. And I, I was thinking, look, this guy's a realtor. Brian Head Welch, he had to be buying a $20 million house right? That's a big commission to risk, right? But this realtor went for it. This guy came to Jesus, and I love that. I cannot watch that video without crying, because I always think Satan had to look at that guy and said, whew, I don't have to worry about Brian Ed Welch, because look at him. He's not coming to Jesus. So we don't know. We don't know who it is. Brian's still walking with the Lord today. Amen is right. So Jesus worked this way. He was looking for the right fruit. In Luke 9, it says, he came to another man and said, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. So Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the gospel of God. 
Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow, looks back, is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Jesus saw they weren't ripe and moved on. He didn't spend the afternoon with them. He went. Now contrast that to when Jesus talks to the woman at the well. Jesus is being missional. Okay? He's in Samaria. He actually had to go out of his way. Where he was coming from, where he was going, he had to go out of his way to go into Samaria. Samaria was not a place that Jews ever went. Not only that, but he went to the well in the middle of the town at midday. Now, why is that significant? Because Jesus knew that people only went to the well in the morning and the afternoon when it was cool. Because if you're lugging a bunch of water, you don't want to do it in the heat of the day. So nobody went to the well in the heat of the day except those people that were outcast. Jesus was being missional. He was looking for the right fruit. John 4 says, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, Well, you're a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Right here, Jesus goes bold, presents the gospel to her, not only in the life following but the present life jesus answered her if you knew the gift of god and who it is that asks you for a drink you would have asked him and he would have given you living water so the woman said you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep where can you get this living water are you greater than our father jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself and did also his sons and his livestock and jesus answered everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again but whoever drinks the water i give them will never thirst Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up into eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back for more water. He told her, Go and call your husband and come back. He's ministering to her. He's showing her, I know who you are. I love you. You're not a stranger to me. I love you. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is you have five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet and our ancestors worship on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus said, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and it has now come, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared... I, the one speaking to you, and am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? Because she was ripe. Then, leaving the jar of water, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, wait a minute, what does she do? She, go, she doesn't go back to the, to the town and lives about her life, right? Quietly sitting, sitting at the table, going to the library once a week, whatever it is, hoping that the the fleas of salvation will jump off of her onto the person next to her? No. She goes back to the town and said to the people, come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. 
Because she was bold. You and I don't know who's ready. Only the Holy Spirit. But we need to pester the Holy Spirit every single day. Before you get out of bed, Holy Spirit, put somebody in my life that needs you. Holy Spirit, make it clear that I know who's right. Holy Spirit, please, you, trust me enough to do this. You empower me. I'm not, I don't know as much about the Bible as I'd like, but I know that you love me. It says that the Holy Spirit's in me. Put somebody in my path. The final passage I'm going to read is actually a prayer request from Paul. Again, Paul, arguably the person most responsible for getting the gospel around, right? He's talking to the Ephesians and he says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. For which I am an ambassador in chains, pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. The greatest evangelist in history asked the Holy Spirit to make him bold. I have to do that. You guys have to do that. That's what's going to grow the church. Not just this church, the church universal. It's up to us. That's why God left us here. You know, he could have made it to where we were saved. He just takes us up to heaven. And the rest of the world is damned. The rest of the world is damned unless we speak boldly. All right, so what are we going to take for this? Only thing, if you get nothing else, if I just droned on, pray. Pray, pray, pray. Pray about the lost. Pray about being bold. Pray about recognizing those who God puts in your, your life. And then just do it. Just do it. All right. I just want to talk to those people in this room that are not followers of Jesus. The, the previous 40 minutes, I'm sorry, I wasn't talking to you. What you can get of it, though, is the previous 40 minutes demonstrate how much God loves you. Because, man, does he love you. He left his army on earth specifically so you could come to know him. God, God created the universe specifically so he could be in a relationship with you. But see, your sin keeps you from him. But he loved you so much he made a way out. He came, sent his son to die for you, took the, the burden of your sin unto him only for the fact because he loves you. That's it. Today is the day for you to surrender to him. If this resonates with you at all, it means you're ripe. If this... I've been out there. I remember when it felt like a light was shining on me, that I was the only one in the room and the guy was speaking to me. If that is you, that means you're ripe. But I can't make you come. I can't, the person next to you can't make you come to Jesus. Only you can come to him. But do it. You, you, you give up nothing. You give up a weak, a weak rule of your own life to be a child of the king. Who wouldn't trade that? You're crazy if you don't do that. Today is the day. Let's pray. Jesus, I ask that every believer in this room be granted the compulsion to declare your gospel confidently, directly, plainly, openly, freely, and boldly, not for our glory, but for yours. The fact that the harvest may be reaped for your glory. And I'd ask that you would grant each of us 
the ability to see those you, you put in our path. Father, thank you that you trust us with this amazing, monumental task. And thank you that you love us so much that you've made it, give each of us a way out. Holy Spirit, fill us, fill us, fill us. Amen.